0: Hello, I'm Izzy Wells, and welcome to Hot Stuff, where we discuss current hot topics that we think deserve your attention, from social issues to popular culture. We'll be keeping you up to date on relevant and unique time-related content every Tuesday. Today's guest on Hot Stuff is Filipino youth activist Julia Mariano. Julia is the spokesperson for Migrante International Taiwan Chapter, a rights organisation for Filipino migrant workers. Their engagement in activism started when they were a high school student in the philippines despite the dangers and social ostracization that came with it julia who came to taiwan to attend university has now been here for four years and has been active in defending and promoting the rights of filipino migrant workers through workers rights campaigns and union building in this episode we discuss how julia first got involved in activism the detrimental aftermath of u.s colonization of the philippines and why there are so many overseas Filipino workers, or OFWs. Julia will also share their own father's experience of being a migrant worker here in Taiwan and how many migrant workers in Taiwan are at risk of exploitation and abuse. Welcome to Hot Stuff, Julia. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me
0: you are very involved fighting for the rights of filipino migrant workers here in taiwan but i want to first of all talk about how you first got involved in activism what's your first memory of being involved in activism in the philippines so in the philippines we have what we
1: call like senior high school so the last two years of high school um i moved to Um, This bigger university, Um, it was a Catholic university, and my friends and I were just hanging out at the park of that university. I think we were (laughs) actually (laughs) reading the Bible, if I remember correctly. (laughs) And so we were just sitting in the park and reading, and um, three other students came up to us and introduced themselves as uh, members of Anak Bayan, and they asked if it was all right to discuss um, the current um, political issues um, and the current like school issues with us um, and we said yes and at the time um, it was about tuition fee increase so in the philippines um there are more private schools than there are public schools so a lot of people go to um, private private schools and these private schools usually increase their tuition every year by um, between five to ten percent so these students were um, telling us about the current issue that was going to happen, about how the school was planning to increase tuition. And once tuition increases, there's always going to be students that won't be able to afford. So it displaces more and more students each year. Um, so it's a big burden on the students. And so they were discussing that. And on top of that, it was because it was 2018, um, martial law had... Um, been declared for months then uh, martial law in Mindanao so they were also um, telling us about the situation in Mindanao and um, where I'm from in the Philippines that university was in Manila so we didn't know too much about what was happening in Mindanao so Mm. they were um, telling us about the militarization happening in Mindanao and also um, on top of discussing about the
0: tuition issues yeah Yeah, and then how how did that I mean, did that make you want to kind
1: of get involved so once after they discussed um i we
0: asked them so um
1: what are the things that we can do and they said like oh you can join this protest that's coming up uh for tuition against tuition increase and at the time i was very much i could not like be seen in like protest so um when i said when we said like oh like we can't really like be seen in protest and also as senior high school students you weren't allowed to join like organizations so
0: then you couldn't be seen because like you couldn't be seen because mm,
1: it was like um it's not well received to be seen in protests in general but then additional like being a senior high school student you're also just generally like not allowed to join organizations like Mm university-wide organizations is that
0: a government rule or a school rule it was more of a school rule mm-hmm. because
1: it does infringe on everyone's right to organize and it actually like it trickled down to like eventually when I was like part of the organization and I joined a protest I was sent to the principal's office and I was um. supposed to not to be barred from enrolling in that school. No so, way. Yeah, so it was actually a very strict wow. rule. Like that school was very very conservative. And it was very... A lot of the democratic rights of the students are very much infringed. But to us back then, it was very normal. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't until like I studied outside of the Philippines that I realized how not normal it was. Wait, I,
0: wait this is insane. Yeah! I was telling
1: my friend who was from the UK... And he was like, that's illegal. And, like, I just, like, never thought of it being that way. Hmm. You're just so used to this um, small ways of fascism in school. Um, So back then, I was saying, like, oh, I'm not able to join protests. Is there any other way? And they were very accepting. They um, said, like, you can still join us, and you can... um, We have um, educational discussions, and we would discuss about... Um, they had basic courses that they make the members take, which is, the first basic course was called Philippine Society and Revolution, and it discusses the history of the Philippines through the lens of the oppressed, because the Philippines, as a colony, as a neo-colony of this the united states because we were formerly colonized by the united states and they established our school system so when they wrote our history books it's very much written in their perspective where they are the saviors Mm -hmm. and it has erased a lot of the perspective of the oppressed and how they rose up and revolted and how we were able like how they were able to Defend the Philippines, and we didn't actually need someone to save us. Was
0: that with the Anakbayan? Yes. Instead? Okay. For those who don't know, what is Anakbayan? So Anakbayan is a national
1: democratic mass organization that um, mainly um, focuses on organizing the youth. So a lot of the members of Anakbayan are students, mm. and um, as a national democratic mass organization, it forwards the interests of. Um, the nationalistic interest, because as a neo-colony, a lot of the orientation of our education and our economy and our government is to serve foreign interests. So what Anakbayan advocates for is for us to serve our own national interests, mm-hmm. for our education to be more um, nationalistic and mass-oriented, and for even our economy to be self-sustaining instead of being import-dependent and export-oriented. And democratic mass organization, meaning it pursues, it pushes for the interests of the masses, and the Filipino masses are largely comprised of farmers and workers but they are the most neglected in the society. So Anak Bayan as an organization that is for the youth, um, it directly links to the farmers and workers. So a lot of what we do as well is to integrate with the farmers and workers and learn about the problems of the basic masses who are the backbone of the society. So we believe in the strengthened unity between students, farmers, and workers in pursuing... Pursuing change that is genuinely for the larger part of the population instead of just a few benefiting from the current system.
0: Mm. So you talked about how, you know, that first time when someone came over and kind of introduced those ideas and then getting more involved with Mm. that. Up until your point in Taiwan, coming to Taiwan, were you then always very involved in this movement?
1: I started out very, very shy. (laughs) and very reserved as well and i think like um i i was 17 so um, i wanted to spend my time like hanging with friends and stuff (laughs) so like when they would um invite us to like have these um sit in these these teach-ins about like talking about history and revolution sometimes it took me a year actually to finish even though it was like supposedly a six to eight hour course Mm. but it took me like a year because like sometimes I would try to evade them (laughs) I try to hide it wasn't it was like a slow start for me and I was also scared of being seen at rallies Mm. sometimes it's also like the social ostracization of being seen at rallies like why are you protesting like it was it was genuinely like not a cool thing to be an <laughs> activist like one it wasn't cool too it's it compromises your safety a lot um within our university we have police we have security guards and um, is it something that your family
0: would be concerned about
1: yes it was actually also a point of rift between me and my parents back then um they believe that anak bayan and like these organizations these activist organizations Um, are the reason why our country becomes very chaotic because they contest the government instead of just following. And back then, um, it was a lot of having to assert from my parents and having to explain. And Mm -hmm. it, it was years of work of making them understand. And it was also through the organization that I understand the principle of tireless persuasion because they were also very tireless in persuading me to finish my course and (laughs) to be involved. So I also had the same um, feeling for my parents. Like, I know they, at the very core, they're just concerned for my safety. And also everyone in the Philippines is subjected to this system and it becomes normalized and it's not easy to change the way you think about it overnight. So Mm. I feel that way a lot about a lot of people and like even convincing my family and like other friends it's um, generally not an overnight thing and one of the things I also believe is the way I live the way we live is gonna be our propaganda so if I just continue doing this and continue believing in the cause and um, the way it translates into my daily life the way I treat People and the way I care for people, mm. I feel like they would eventually understand. And my mom, right now, like, my mom is very much like she understands and she's grown so much from back then when they were restricting me a lot. Mm. Um, and also because it came to a point where I was going to be barred from being enrolled into that university.
0: It's a. I can imagine also a scary thing for it a was, parent, right? Yeah, for you, but also your parents. Just you know, aside from the ideas and things, is worrying about your safety, your mm-hmm. future. When you first, when that those people first approached you, mm-hmm. were those ideas at the time quite revolutionary to you, or was it something that you had, you were kind of aware of? I think I was kind of aware of it
1: already. I think in the Philippines generally you know very well all the problems of the society but you don't know what to do with it you don't know how to act and you feel very powerless as an individual and there's the pressure to sustain yourself to just adapt to the system because you need to live another day instead of having to have this thinking of overhauling the system which seems more intimidating but what i learned being part of the organization is these problems are not meant to be dealt with alone and we do rely on like community in the tight-knit organization and moving in an organized manner mm-hmm.
0: So you've now been in Taiwan for four years and you're the spokesperson for Migrante International Taiwan chapter, which is a rights organization for Filipino migrant workers. Were the issues and discrimination faced by a lot of migrant workers here in Taiwan something that you were aware of before you came and how did you get involved with that organization?
1: So actually my dad was a migrant worker in Taiwan. Mm. So from when I was very young. Um, I could remember my dad having to leave frequently and I didn't um, get to spend a lot of time with him so I would always look forward to him coming home and also my aunts and uncles they also worked in Taiwan as factory workers Um, I think it was for computers because they were describing like doing like the motherboard um, and stuff Um, but uh, my dad was one of the luckier ones his story is actually He worked in Taiwan for a bit as a factory worker so he could save up for medical school. Mm. And when he had enough for medical school, he went back to the Philippines and he finished um, his degree as a doctor. And eventually he came back to Taiwan um, to look for a job as a doctor then. So yeah, so (laughs) he was still one of the lucky ones. So I, I think as a child, I only knew the other side of it, which was longing for my parent. I knew the other side of um, having an overseas Filipino worker. So in the Philippines, we have this OFW phenomenon. We call them overseas Filipino workers, OFWs. So every family in the Philippines has at least one who is an overseas Filipino worker. But it's usually more than one. Worldwide, actually, the, the Philippines is the biggest exporter of labor. So everyone has family members always going abroad. And everyone is kind of familiar with that problem. I think as a child, I longed for my dad a lot and I looked forward to him coming home and I guess like the toys that I would receive, but I didn't think of the other side of it back then. I didn't think of what he could have been facing Mm. um, in Taiwan and the hardships that he would have faced. So coming to Taiwan myself, this time it's the reverse because my dad's already settled back in the Philippines, so me c- coming to Taiwan, um, I would experience, like, homesickness, and, like, being in this nicer and safer environment, but being here alone, so it kind of is, like, I really wish my family was here, like, you don't ever, like, stop thinking of them, like, walking down the grocery aisles, I'm like, oh, like, I wish, like, they were here to, like, share this with me, mm. so I didn't think of the reverse side and so like on a personal level that was my introduction to it but then back in the philippines when i told my organization that i will be studying abroad i felt a lot of guilt because i know the biggest need is to be in the philippines because everyone's already going outside of the philippines so there there is a big need for organizers in the philippines so i felt a lot of guilt telling them that Um, but they were very reassuring and my friends the other organizers were telling me that no matter where you go in the world actually like there's always a need for organizing and actually in Taiwan as we know, there is Migrante, which is also a national democratic mass organization. And it focuses on migrant workers. So you could connect with them once you get there. And I think it was, it took me like, because I said like, I'll, I'll like settle, settle in Taiwan. Maybe I won't focus on organizing work because school's going to be really hard. But I think like it was after two months. <laughs> and then I was like, this is actually so isolating. And it's, it was so hard. I couldn't speak Chinese back then. And nobody also spoke to me in English because most of my classmates were just Taiwanese. Mm. So I think I was really like longing for community. I thought it would have been a burden, but actually it was being in the organization is also what saved me. And I think it is the same for a lot of people in the community as well, Mm. being able to be linked to other people. So I contacted them. I messaged the Migrante page and... Um, The first meeting we had was during December, it was 2019 December, it was the yearly migrants rally, um, and it was held during International Migrants Day, so there's a yearly rally during December, and that's where I met the other members of Migrante, and there weren't any other students, so I was just, um, the other organizers, my other uh, members were a lot older than me, so Um, that was very new to me and also um, their background and their life situation was very different but they really like took me in and it felt like they were my second parents and oh. yeah <laughs> probably
0: not, they're probably happy to have some like young energy as well yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you talked about the OFWs mm-hmm. that is that a lot to do with because of work in the Philippines is mm-hmm. it and salaries that are, are, are problematic yes yeah, so the salary
1: is very low compared to the rising um, cost of living in the Philippines and actually Um, This was started and strengthened during the 70s under Ferdinand Marcos, um, Sr., the former dictator. And he um, strengthened our ties with the U.S. by tying us to the labor export policy. So from then on, there was this very strong phenomenon of sending out workers. Um, Back then, it was nurses that needed to, because America needed a lot of nurses for sustaining their soldiers during World War so they sourced it from the Philippines because they had already established an American education in the in the Philippines so it was just like extracting these Americanized Filipinos so it's very convenient for them to extract a lot of our labor um, a lot of nurses, carers um, and manual laborers. So it's been a long-standing phenomenon and uh, Marcos Ferdinand Marcos the dictator, his son, is actually our current president right now so the the legacy of still exporting workers instead Mm -hmm. of resolving the problem within the Philippines through establishing national industries it still lives on because they still earn the government earns a lot from the remittances and so because they benefit from that they don't it's not in their interest to bring these workers back home and give them sustainable work and jobs back home
0: Oh, so they don't really see it as an issue that they need to resolve. Yes. Let's talk about some of the issues then that migrant workers here in Taiwan are facing. So according to the American think tank, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, there are currently around 700,000 migrant laborers in Taiwan, making up about 80% of the foreign residents in Taiwan. Now, most of these labourers are from Southeast Asian countries like Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam, and Thailand. Approximately a quarter million are in domestic care roles, and the remainder work in industries such as agriculture, fishing, and semiconductor factories. Now, when it comes to salaries for foreign live in caregivers here in Taiwan, their salaries are not covered by the Labour Standards Act. Um, it's said that their salaries are stipulated in agreement by the signed by the employer and the foreign worker. Now, the Ministry of Labor did announce a salary that needs to be a minimum of twenty thousand NTD, which is around six hundred and forty USD. But what are some of the issues that arise from those caregivers not being covered by the Labor Standards Act? So I think
1: it was actually during. 2022 when they raised it to Mm 20,000 and that was just for the newest newer contracts. But when I started in Migrante Taiwan for the longest time it has been Mm 17,000 and before that it was even 15,000 per month. Um, So not being part of the Labor Standards Act for them means that their wage is below minimum. They don't get um, labor Labor insurance, um, they don't have set um, days off. So I think right now it's the standard kind of is that you get two Sundays off if you're lucky. Wow, a month? A month, two Sundays off a month if you're wow. lucky. There is no boundary between where they work and where they live, so there is no overtime pay. It feels like they're on call 24-7. So for such a labor-intensive nature kind of job Um, they don't have proper protection and a lot of problems arise from this from the isolation and from there being no boundaries between their work and their personal life Mm -hmm. a lot of them become very vulnerable to abuse and violence in the workplace
0: which is also where they live Let's come on to that actually. Mm-hmm. So, some of these cases of abuse and exploitation have been reported uh, in media. So, I mean, I'll just mention a few, but in November 2022, a couple from Taipei were charged with abusing their Indonesian domestic worker. The workers' medical examination reported that she had pierced eardrums, blurred vision, and cataracts, eye damage, deformed lips, broken teeth, and other injuries. The worker said that the couple had poured hot water in her, scalded her skin, kicked her, took her passport personal, like really horrific abuse. Um, and there was also another famous case in August 2017, an unarmed Vietnamese migrant worker was shot nine times by a policeman and subsequently died. So are instances of exploitation and abuse of migrant workers common in Taiwan, would you say? So they're
1: reported like this and it seems like it happens once in a while but they're actually very normal things to happen especially if the system that is built doesn't offer enough protection. So in the shelter, there is always a steady number of guests. Actually, during COVID times, um, we even thought that maybe like there will be less um, workers that will be needed to rescue but there was actually an influx because the more that um, the workers are constrained inside their workplace, the more they are vulnerable to abuse because no one is watching. And these Mm -hmm. places, because they aren't under the Labor Standards Act, they are very, very loosely regulated. So these um, things are actually not exceptions to the rule. They are the rule because the system itself doesn't offer very strong protection. And so this is the kind of culture that it breeds a lot of people get away with abusing workers and it also ties into the phenomenon of runaway workers which i think in taiwan there is usually a bad a bad impression for workers who run away they always think that um, these workers are out to take advantage of these employers but they're actually always at the disadvantage the reason they run away is because there is no enough social protection even when they report to the police even when they report to the brokers, or sometimes even when they report to the helplines, these people can be um, not in favor of their interest because they could be like, uh, are you sure that you were actually harassed, that mm. that was just an old man? A lot of um, these workers actually have experiences of, once they report, their experience gets downplayed a lot. They're kind of doubted
0: and 2nd yeah. guessed. and,
1: second-guessed. and mm. they're always saying like, you're here in Taiwan to work, so why don't you just work? Because the system like looks down on these people and doesn't recognize this as a formal kind of work that um, needs protection, a lot of these people fall through the cracks and a lot of them resort to running away, which is not an easy decision to undertake, in Ta- especially in Taiwan. So these people are actually pushed to desperate measures.
0: Would you say migrant workers here are second-class citizens? I think for sure,
1: definitely... It's very different to come to Taiwan as a foreigner from the West versus you come to Taiwan as Southeast Asian. Even for me, and I'm already a student in Taiwan, and I think I already hold so much privilege. But I think even for me sometimes, for example, I was riding the bus the other day, and this old woman asked um, where I was from. And when I said I was from the Philippines, she asked if I wanted to come and clean her house. If I wanted, oh my goodness. Yeah, if she was saying, like, it pays really well. And she was like, you have to go down with me in this bus right now. You have to go down with me in this bus. And I was trying to, like, respectfully decline, saying, like, I don't have time.
0: But she was, like, really, like, pushing. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of stereotypes. So there is a lot mm-hmm. of
1: stereotypes for sure and a lot of maybe even maybe the older generation um, because they are already so used to the system that is established they just take it for what it is Mm. and don't bother to criticize it and see how it has affected people for generations
0: You are listening to Hot Stuff. I'm your host, Izzy Wells, and we will continue this interview in next week's episode where Julia will share more about the experience and abuse of migrant workers in Taiwan, as well as how the Philippines and Palestinian struggle for national liberation is interconnected. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Bye.